This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. ഫലക്കി <تصفيق> ഫലമീനുസലീൻ <تصفيق> covering the passage yesterday which makes reference to the predicament of Maryam radiyallahu anha where she's this young woman and she's approached by a man and at that time what is her reaction of course we saw her reaction in ayah number 18 that she immediately seeks refuge with Allah and she in fact in fact she in um she challenges that man that is approaching her that if you have any level of god consciousness if you have any level of taqwa then you're going to back off then you're going to step away then you're not going to um you know violate me or you're not going to invade my privacy or my personal space in any way shape or form now i talked about this yesterday how and there are many many different quotes of the scholars as well the mufassirun that they say that this is that that proof that establishes that maryam was a chaste pure woman she was a chaste pure woman and that this is transpiring way this is happening before the birth, birth of isa alayhi salam so it's almost like it's it's been established now it's a part of history that this is a woman that is extremely chaste she is modest and she preserved her self dignity her respect and her modesty we then saw that the angel actually then at that point in time reveals who he truly is that he is a messenger he is a courier he is an angel sent by Allah and i explained how the, the scholar said this is jibril alayhi salam and we also saw ruhana the in ayah number 17 Allah refers to him as ruhana which is jibril alayhi salam's nickname ruh and he says that i have been sent with a gift for you and that gift is you are going to be having a very very pure hearted a very clean hearted noble son She of course in ayah number 20 expresses the astonishment which is only natural but at the same time now that she realizes she's conversing with an angel from Allah there's a na- there's a natural desire that any human being in that position would have that I want to talk to him I want to get to know more I want this conversation to continue so she says anna yakunu li ghulam how is it possible for me to be having a son walam yamsasni bashar When in fact I'm not married, I have not experienced marital relations. I do not have a husband. I do not have a spouse. 
And I explained all the linguistic nuances involved with that. And then separately, in, in very, very strong terms and tone, and that's how the Qur'an refers to extramarital, premarital relations, uh, any type of fornication or adultery, that it causes, it causes it a complete rebellion. It causes it, it, causes it a crossing the, the social line and breaking all types of social order. Because it, it, it spreads promiscuity, which brings about so many other evils and vanity, and all these things start to pop up in society when this type of, a, of an evil, evil becomes very, very common. So she says, وَلَمْ أَكُبَغِيًا And I have never been sinful. I have never done wrong. Meaning I haven't indulged in that type of illicit behavior. I have not had any type of relationships that are outside of marriage. That's out of the question. And I also explained, وَلَمْ أَكُ There is the omission of the noon that normally is there. لَمْ أَكُنْ So she's trying to say that I have not had any type. That this type of behavior has never existed in my life. Just like... The noon is no longer in existence, so that's indicative of the fact how she absolutely had nothing of that type of behavior in her life. We then reach ayah number 20, where the angel responds to Maryam. He says, قَالَ كَذَلِكَ قَالَ كَذَلِكَ Alright, he said just like that. That كَذَلِكَ الْأَمْرُ Alright, and now here it's saying, قَالَ كَذَلِكِ قَالَ كَذَلِكِ that just like that, that's how things work. And it's kadaliki because the addressee here is Maryam. In the previous one, it was Zakariyah, the addressee, he was male, masculine, so it was kadalika. Here it's kadaliki because it is feminine, the addressee is feminine. Qala kadaliki, qala rabbuki. Your Lord, your Master has said, huwa alayya hayyin. What has he said? He said that this is very easy for me. This is very easy, this is not a problem, this is... Basically in common English, the way I can explain this, is that it means, this requires no effort on my part. This requires no effort on my part. This doesn't even require me to break a sweat, like we say. I don't even have to break a sweat to do that. It's like that type of an expression in Arabic. That's not a problem. That's no big deal. وَلِنَجْعَلَهُ آيَةً لِلنَّاسِ وَلِنَجْعَلَهُ آيَةً لِلنَّاسِ And we have made him, she's referring to, the, um, the angel is referring to the son, to the child, Isa alayhi salam, and we have made him ayah, ayah, alright, a, a sign. A very, and I explained the meaning of the word ayah, I think maybe it was during the Arabic class. But ayah refers to a sign that cannot be ignored. A sign that cannot be overlooked. A sign that stares you in the face. A sign that the only way that you do not see the sign is you intentionally don't want to see the sign. That's the type of sign I'm talking about. Alright, like a billboard. Like something huge that just stares you in the face. And the second implication of the word ayah in the Arabic language is, it refers to a sign that leads you to something, that points to something. It's a sign that leads you to something, that points to something. Right? So it's, and, and another analogy I like to use often, is like it's like the highway sign. So it's a big old sign, alright, that is well lit, that glows in the dark, and then it's, got, it's directly, it's pointing you in the direction of an exit or a highway. And so it's right there. When you're driving, you can't help but see it right there looming, on, looming in front of you. And that's what this refers to. That's what ayah is. Alright, so ayah talinnas. 
And so that we, we, we could make him ayah, a sign, that type of an unavoidable, unmistakable, blatant, apparent, open sign. Alright? But who is this sign? So the sign leads you somewhere. Where does the sign lead you? It leads you to Allah. It leads you to seeing the greatness of Allah, to understanding who Allah truly is. Now who is this sign meant for? Linnasi. Linnas, for mankind, for humanity, for people. So it's meant for people. This will be a lesson, a reminder to people of who Allah is. وَرَحْمَةً مِنَّا And a mercy from us. So this is a sign for the people and a mercy for, from us. وَكَانَ أَمْرًا And this is an issue, this is an affair that has already been decided. It has been decided. Alright? Now, the word maqadiyan. Maqadiyan. Alright, this comes from the root word qada. This comes from the root word qada. And the word qada in the Arabic language is different than fasala or other terms of the similar meaning. So it doesn't just simply mean to decide something. The, the English translation I like to use is decree. And what that basically refers to, to, break, to explain the meaning, qada refers to when somebody makes a decision, and not just they make the decision, but they have the authority, they have the power, they have the backing to, infl- to um, implement that decision. That's why a judge is called a qadi. Because when the judge issues his decision, he has a police force that will go out there and will implement his decision, will make you follow his decree, his decision. And that's what qada refers to. So maqadiyan comes from that root. That it's been done, it's been decided. And hasn't just been decided by somebody that some council on something, some advisory council has decided it and they recommend that this is what you do. No, no, no. This is coming straight down from the ultimate authority. And this is going to be implemented. This is going to be backed up. Alright, the person who's made this, the one who has made this decision has the authority to implement it, to enforce it. To enforce it. وَكَانَ أَمْرًا مَقَضِيَّةً And this is, an, this is an issue that's already been decided. It's been decided. Now I'd like to explain a few things here in this ayah. So first of all, it's very obvious here, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, هُوَ عَلَيَّ هَيْنْ We talked about this term, it appeared before as well. وَلِنَجْعَلَهُ آيَةً لِلنَّاسِ And we, ha- we are going to make him, we are going to make him a sign. Now if you look at the word ayatan, it's left in the very open common form. What the common form, the nakira form, tenkir, what one of the effects of it is what we call a tanawur. A tanawur, which means to create diversity, to create versatility in the meaning. So that this one word could be referring to a number of different things, or a number of different types of things. So when we say ayatan, it's a sign. But it's going to be a different type of sign for different people. So it's a sign... For people who choose to disbelieve, people who disbelieve that they need to believe in the power of Allah. But at the same time, it's a sign for the people who will begin to deify this child that is going to come into existence, that what they really need to pay attention to is that the existence and the miraculous birth of this child should actually, he is their sign, he's like a, he's like a sign on the highway. He is not the objective himself. He is not the destination himself. But rather he is a sign that gives you directions on how to reach your objective and your destination. And your objective and your destination is Allah. And He is a means to that end. 
He's a means to that end. Alright, he's a very dignified, very revered, very respected means to that end. I don't mean to belittle or diminish the status of a prophet. But nevertheless, it's a means to an end. Alright, and so it's a sign for different types of people in different ways. Similarly, it says, وَرَحْمَةً وَرَحْمَةً And it is a mercy from us. Again, here you have the nakira form, the common form, a tanwiyah, a tanawur. Alright? And how is it a mercy? It will manifest as a mercy for different people in different ways. One of the ways that it is a mercy, and this is something very important, and that is, there are people who are willing to believe in Allah, whether or not a miracle exists. There are people who believe in Allah, regardless of the mu'ajizah, regardless of the miracle. You understand? There are some people that believe in the validity of the message, that are so in tune, so in touch with their fitrah, with their fitrah, their inner natural inherent leaning towards something. They are so in tune with their fitrah, they are so clean hearted, they are so focused on that which is good and beneficial, that even if a prophet did not have a miracle, they would be willing to believe just on the content of the message. They don't need to be wowed. They don't need, they don't need shock and awe. They're willing to believe in the message, regardless. And so that, 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 that element exists amongst people. But when a miracle does arrive, like the birth of Isa alayhi salam, like the Qur'an, the kalam of Allah, like the staff of Musa alayhi salam, that is a mercy upon those people. It's a mercy upon those people. Because you have those believers, those firm believers, the ones that are there by the side of the Prophet, the ones that stick to the message, they stick with the truth, and they take a pounding, they take, it, they take a beating, and they continue to stand there, firm, solid, strong. And then when something like this happens, it's like finally getting a win. It's finally getting a win. And so it's, it's like a mercy upon them. So while it is something that leaves the opponents, the opposition, the critics, it leaves them completely silent, it baffles them, it astounds them, and it, leaves some, it leads some people to believe, it serves as a relief for some people as well. It serves as a moment of celebration and rejoice for some people. Who have believed the entire time, even when the miracles weren't there. But the miracle just comes to, like, like almost as a, as, as a gift for these people. A mercy for these people. That you've stuck it through here. You've stuck by the side of the messenger through thick and thin. And even when you didn't have an unbelievable, mind-blowing miracle to point to, to refer to, you still stuck through. And you still stuck with the messenger. So this is for you. This is a mercy for you. So, وَرَحْمَةً minna. So that's one form of it being a mercy. The other form of it being a mercy is obviously, when that miracle does arrive, there's another category of people who have kind of been towing the line. Who see the sensibility in the message, but are still hesitant for whatever reason. And this type of an arrival of a miracle, it's just a little bit of a push that they need to go ahead and accept the message. And so it's obviously a mercy for them because may, that miracle was the straw that broke the camel's back. 
That miracle was the last little push that they needed. The last little bit of motivation that they needed. So it's a mercy for different people in different ways. وَرَحْمَةً مِنَّا وَكَانَ أَمْرًا مَقَضِيَّةً So Maryam is being told all this, by the way. Let's, let's not forget about that. Alright, Maryam is being told all of this. That this child, the birth of this child, will be a sign, a reminder, something that will lead people to Allah. And secondly, it will be a mercy. So it's a mercy for you from us. This is a mercy for that child, but mercy for so many other people beyond that. And people of the ilk, people of the quality, people of the caliber and the cut of Maryam and her son Isa alayhi salam, obviously are, they are, they, they, they are pleased, they are satisfied, they are definitely, um, they are pleased to hear that this is a form of mercy for them. But these are, the, these are very, very special types of people. People that would put others' well-being before their own. People that care about all of humanity and the fate of all of humanity. So when they hear that they could be a means for mercy and guidance and for all of mankind, sign me up, where do I sign up? They're the type of people that say, where do I sign up? And so that was something that was very, very important. Like Allah tells us in the Qur'an, in Surah Al-Anbiya, وَجَعَلْنَاهَا وَبْنَهَا آيَةً لِلْعَلَمِينَ Allah says that we made her and her son an ayah, a sign for all people, regardless of when and where they have ever existed. Allah says in another ayah of the Qur'an, in Surah Al-Mu'minun, ayah number 50, وَجَعَلْنَا مَنَ مَرْيَمَ وَأُمَّهُ آيَةً And we have made the son of Maryam, Isa, and his mother, a sign for people. And then finally here at the end, Allah says, وَكَانَ أَمْرًا مَقَضِيَّةً وَكَانَ أَمْرًا مَقَضِيَّةً Now, this is something very interesting. Now this is kind of the motivational part of it. As if that wasn't motivation enough already, but to remove any type of hesitation, any type of a thought from the mind of Maryam, the angel is now delivering the news that this is something that's already been decreed. It's been written. Done deal. This is happening. Allah has decreed. The, the, the plan is in motion. The wheels are turning. Things are happening as we speak. It's a done deal. It's happening. Meaning now it's time to come to terms with this. There's no more time to beat around the bush. There's no more time to dilly-dally, to worry about this, to worry about that. Time's here now. It's go time. This is go time. Now or never. So this is it. وَكَانَ أَمْرًا مَقَضِيَّةً It's decided. This is expressed in a different way in Surah Al-Imran in ayah number, number 47. Allah says, قَالَ كَذَلِكِ اللَّهُ يَخْلُقُ مَا That does just like that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates whatever He wills. إِذَا قَضَى أَمْرًا When He decrees something, when he decides and decrees something, فَإِنَّمَا يَقُولُ لَهُ كُنْ فَيَكُونَ All he's got to say is be and it is. Be and it is. Meaning it's done. It requires nothing. We're done. We're going now. وَكَانَ أَمْرًا مَقَضِيَّةً Now from here, another passage starts. It's still the same story continuing, but now we get to the actual occurrence, the actual incident now. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَحَمَلَتْهُ فَانْتَبَذَتْ بِهِ مَكَانًا قَصِيَّةً فَحَمَلَتْهُ The fa here means, so then, finally, حَمَلَتْهُ She carried him. 
Meaning, she's carrying the child now, carrying the son, she's pregnant. فَحَمَلَتْهُ She's pregnant now with the child, she's carrying the child. فَانْتَبَذَتْ بِهِ فَانْتَبَذَتْ بِهِ We've already come across this word, intabadat, Referring to Maryam before. So now, again, it means that she secluded herself. She separated herself. But here it says, she secluded herself, she separated herself. Bihi. Bihi. Now, this uses the, the preposition, the letter ba here is like a preposition in classical Arabic. Alright, it's kind of like a preposition. Now, what it means is the ba is very versatile, it has a dozen different meanings. What it means here is ba sababiyah. This is ba sababiyah. This is the ba of causation. This is the ba which explains the reason for something happening. bihi. She separated herself because of him. Due to the child. As a consequence of the child. As a consequence of the child. Now that's very interesting. What does that mean? What's that alluding to? Now, there's a number of factors here. There's a number of things that come into consideration. Number one is obviously the decency, the modesty of Maryam is a contributing factor here. That just, just consider everything. Consider everything we've talked about up to this point. Maryam, I spoke very briefly about the parents of Maryam, which are spoken about in Surah Ali Imran. You can tell me in one word, what kind of people were the parents of Maryam? Good people, righteous people, pious people. They were good people. Okay? And then who is the mentor and the teacher of Maryam? Zakariya. What is Zakariya's job description? Prophet of Allah. He's a prophet of Allah. What does Maryam do? What is her full-time occupation? What does she do? She serves. Serves the deen. She's taking care of the place of worship. She worships herself. She studies with the Nabi. She teaches other people. She's a full-time worker of the deen. I want you to take all these factors into consideration. She has such a strong, powerful relationship with Allah, that while she's still a student, while she's still very young, you know the story, she's eating fruits out of season. Divinely fruit is being delivered to her out of season. So she's somebody with a very strong connection to Allah. Her, she comes from a good home and a good family. Her parents are pious, righteous people. Her, she's a student of a prophet. She serves the house of worship full time. After all of this, she's pregnant without marriage. She's pregnant without having been married. You can, imagine, you can imagine how difficult that is for her to deal with. Yes, it's miraculous. Yes, it's a divine injunction. It's a divine command. She is the vessel of a miracle. She has communicated with an angel. Yes, she has no doubt. She's got full conviction. She's a firm believer. She knows that she's out there in the line of fire and she's willing to be out there. If it will be the means of guidance for generations to come. She's okay with it. But it doesn't change the fact that somebody that comes from such a dignified background and somebody that is so full of modesty, 
Somebody that embodies, that personifies modesty, decency, self-dignity, self-respect. You can imagine what a trial it must have been for her. To walk around. To have to deal with people. You know, and, and just again, trying to keep things, trying to not be provocative, but keep things very general. But also, we also got to deal with the story. We got to sink our teeth into this, this, this situation. This is a real human being. In the initial stages of expecting a child, you know, it's not always as apparent or as visible that somebody's expecting a child. And then there are little adjustments you can make, how you dress, how you interact. There are little, little things, little adjustments you can make to conceal the fact. But what happens as the pregnancy progresses? It becomes very, very apparent and obvious. It gets to the point where you can't hide it anymore. And now it's starting to get to that point. And her modesty, her decency, it just won't allow her to deal with this onslaught that is bound to come, bound to happen, of, oh my God, what did you do? What did you do? And everybody wants the juicy little details, and everybody's gossiping, and everyone's pointing fingers. And they're not just pointing fingers at her, they're pointing fingers at who? At her family who are good people. They never did nothing wrong. They're good people. They're not just pointing fingers at her and her family, but they're also pointing a finger at her teacher, who's a prophet. Yeah, that's one of his students. Check it out, mashallah. Good student. Speaks, says a lot for the teacher. Right, that's what we say, isn't it? They're not just pointing fingers at her parents and at her teacher, but وَلَعْيَاذُ billah. Some people will even be will stoop low enough to point fingers where? At Allah, at the deen, at the masjid. Yeah, she's that very pious person. Yeah, these Mulvis, they're all just like this. You ever heard that before? We talk like this, we say these type of things. Be very careful about that. People's actions speak for themselves. Oh, this masjid, masjid stuff, this is what all this is. It's all hanky-panky. Masjid, masjid, hanky-panky. No, I'm very serious. We talk like this. And so, she's, she's worried about this. She's conscious of this. And so there's two things here. While there's a warning, we should never engage in this type of talk. That not only are we gossiping and backbiting, and probably, more likely than not slandering, but at the same time, we are then humiliating other people. We are disgracing other people. We are violating the honor and the dignity of other people. The Prophet ﷺ swears by Allah, swears by Allah, points at the Kaaba and says that the dignity, the honor of a Muslim is more sacred than even you are. What would we do to somebody that showed up in Mecca, showed up at the Haram, at the Kaaba, and started to do something inappropriate to it? What would we do to him? Can you imagine what we would do to him? But we do that to people every single day. So be very careful about that type of behavior. And on the other side, on the flip side, it's, an, it's another powerful reminder. If we have been blessed by Allah to be in the position where we represent the deen in some capacity or another, 
whether it be because we're frequently masjid going, or because we're involved with the committee on the masjid, or we are, you know, a khatib in our community, or we give weekly halaqas or lessons, whatever it is. If we are representatives of the deen in any capacity, know that there is a certain amount, there's always going to be people out there that are going to relate anything, anything that we do, wrong, they're not just going to limit it to us, they're not just going to implicate us, they will implicate the entire deen. They will even talk ill of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are some people like that. So that should make us very conscious of our actions. Because this is not a trick of shaitan, like, hey, hey, it's my personal life, I can do whatever I want to. That's something else. That's, that's something else. That's when I do that, I do that. When I'm giving khutbah, I'm giving khutbah. When I'm doing lectures, I'm doing lectures. This is my personal life. That means there's a lacking in my own practice of the deen. If I see a separation between the two, I got a problem that I got to fix. And realize that if I don't fix this problem, the longer that I keep this situation up, then it, I'm, I'm only damaging the reputation of the deen amongst the people. The deen will be fine. But I will be held accountable by Allah for how I represented the deen. So always be very, very careful about that. So fantabathat bihi. Now look at the dignity, the honor of Maryam. She says, no, 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 no. I'm not gonna turn my parents, I'm not gonna turn my teacher, the Nabi of Allah, the masjid, the, my relationship with Allah into fodder for the community, fodder for gossip. I'm not gonna do that. So she leaves, she separates herself, she secludes herself. She takes a little vacation. She goes away for a little bit. فَانْتَبَذَتْ بِهِ Because of the child. مَكَانًا قَصِيًّا مَكَانًا قَصِيًّا Where did she separate herself to? Where did she go? مَكَانًا قَصِيًّا Alright? Now, مَكَان means a place. قَصِيًّا is a description of the place. Arabic students? موسوف and? Sifa. Thank you. Alright? موسوف and? Sifa, mashallah. Alright? So, it's describing the place. It's describing the place. Now, what does the word qasiyan mean? It comes from the root word, which means for something to be very, very far. For something to be the most distant, something to be the farthest corner of something. So it's a very relative term. It basically means the farthest corner of something. Like it's used in Surah Yasin, excuse me, وَجَاءَ رَجُلٌ مِّنْ أَقَصَ الْمَدِينَةِ And a man came from the farthest part of the city, from the farthest reaches of the town, from the suburbs. So a man came from the farthest part of town. So that's what the word qasiyan means. But here qasiyan is being used in its hyperbolic, in its exaggerated form. So it means a very, very far place. So she basically went where there were no people. Completely isolated herself. And again, I want you to feel the human side of the story. I, I made a lot of effort to emphasize that within Zakaria alayhi salam's story that preceded this. I want you to feel the human side of the story. So I've already talked about who Maryam is, where she's coming from, and already how difficult this is. She stepped up to the line. She willingly accepted this, this, this great task and responsibility and honor and dignity really. But I still want you to understand how, that doesn't mean that it's easy. It's difficult. Now on top of that, 
Can you imagine a young woman just kind of going out into the middle of nowhere? Can you imagine how frightening that must have been? Can you imagine how alone she must have felt? And typically when a woman is expecting, what usually do we do at that time? Like when, 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 when somebody, like, a, like a, a wife, who maybe her parents live in another city, when she's expecting, who comes to visit at that time? Her mom comes to visit. She goes home and stays with her parents for a little bit. That's a time when we provide them even more companionship. When we give them even more company. When we surround them with even more love and affection and kindness. And then imagine at the moment when you need love and you need family and you need your people the most, you have to isolate yourself. Imagine how difficult that must be. What Maryam is dealing with. What, when Allah at the end of all of this, and I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but at the end of all of this in Surah Al-Tahreem, Surah number 66, when Allah says that she is a role model and an example for all believers that will come throughout the generations, there's a reason for that. This woman's willpower, this woman's strength is unbelievable. She's remarkable. Even men, we, we as men cannot even display even an iota of the level of strength and conviction that this woman had. So this is Maryam, this is who she is. So, فَانْتَبَذَتْ بِهِ مَكَانًا قَصِيًّا To a very, very far away place. Now, there's that... Now there's, there's a little bit of a discussion here. There's a little bit of a discussion here as to what was this faraway place that she went to. So there is a large, there's a large number, the vast overwhelming majority of the scholars, whether they be mufassirun or muwarrikhun, whether they be historians or they even be scholars of tafsir, they say that the name of the place that Maryam went to in Arabic is called Baytul Lahm, which is what we call in English Bethlehem. The birthplace of Jesus. The birthplace of Isa alayhi salam. Alright? So she went to this place, which at that time was uninhabited. Which at that time did not have people living there. So she goes out to this faraway place. The Qur'an also describes it, وَجَعَلْنَا بْنَ مَرْيَبَ وَأُمَّهُ آيَةً In Surah Mu'minun, ayah number 50, that we made the son of Maryam and his mother a sign. وَآوَيْنَاهُمَا And we gave them protection. We gave them a place to seek refuge. إِلَىٰ رَبْوَةٍ To a, an elevated place. ذَاتَ قَرَارٍ وَمَكِينٍ And it was a place where she would be able to stay, where she would be able to settle. وَمَا Excuse me. ذَاتَ قَرَارٍ وَمَعِينٍ and it was a place that had water on the surface. Ma'in basically means a place where water is accessible, where water actually comes up to the surface. Whether it be through in the form of a stream, or a river, or whatever it is, a spring, but anytime that water actually comes up through the ground and actually rises to the surface, it's called ma'in, accessible water. So it was a place where she would feel safe and secure, and it was a place where water would be accessible, and that's pretty much what you need. So this was the blessing of Allah upon Maryam. So she goes to Makan and Qasi, and she goes to this faraway place. And in that is another little blessing. So while this is very difficult, and this is part of the test and the trial of Maryam, that at the time when she needs companionship, when she needs love and care and affection, and to be taken care of, 
to be looked after. She's having to go out on her own, be in the middle of nowhere, and look for, after herself and care for herself. And that is another... And see, this is the other thing. This is, this is a problem we have. And I often, maybe those of you who have heard me talk here and there a little bit, you probably remember when I talk about the seerah, I make this emphasis. That too often with the seerah we do this, that we talk about the seerah of the Prophet in a very superhero type of fashion. Alright, we don't extract the practical life benefits, just the practical things from it. Alright, there are so many things in terms of just lifestyle or psychology, alright, just the day-to-day experience of a human being that we can extract benefits from there. And it validates those things, the, the, the presence, the, the existence of those things in the life of the messenger validates those things. Alright? Same thing with the Qur'an. The Qur'an has a lot of these subtleties built into it. Alright? One of the number one rules, when a woman is expecting, when a woman is pregnant, one of the number one rules is that no stress. Correct or not? No stress. She's, she should not stress over anything. And the people around her, the number one emphasis is that you should not stress her out. You should not stress her out. And actually, medically speaking, I'm not qualified, but just through personal experience, I like how he ducked behind any head. I pointed at a doctor and he ducked for cover. Alright? So, that medically speaking, just through personal experience, by having babies and children and the families and things like that, that, that stress, high levels of stress, can cause complications within the pregnancy. So subhanallah, while it is one form of stress, look at this though, the tafsir al-Qur'an bil-Qur'an, where it seems like a form of stress for the woman to kind of go out, and it initially did require a lot of conviction on the part of Maryam, but once she gets here, how does she find the place? It's elevated. What, what's, the, what's the advantage of elevation? You can see what's around you, it gives you a very strategic vantage point. Qararin. It's somewhere where you're comfortable staying, like, yeah, I could stay here for a little bit. You know when you say that? You settle somewhere very comfortable, you say, ah, I don't mind staying here for a few days. I'm okay over here. وَمَعِينٍ And water and the, the, the basic necessities of life are readily available. So subhanAllah, Allah made those arrangements. But the, so even though there's a little bit of stress in terms of she's isolated or she had to leave home, but it saved her from the greater stress which definitely would have been what? The slander, the gazes, the gossips, the rumor that the people would have spread. That would have just killed her. That would have eaten her, eaten away at her inside. That would have made it difficult for her to sleep. That would have been something she wouldn't have been able to recover from. So subhanAllah, we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is removing the stress from Maryam. Now, we move on to, so فَحَمَلَتْهُ She now is pregnant, she's carrying him. فَانْتَبَذَتْ بِهِ And because of the child, and the circumstances revolving around the child, the expected child, she separates herself in a very, very far away place. Ayah number 23. Allah says, فَأَجَاءَهَا الْمَخَاضُ فَأَجَاءَهَا الْمَخَاضُ إِلَىٰ جِذْعِ النَّخْلَةِ قَالَتْ يَا لَيْتَنِي مِتُّ قَبْلَ هَذَا وَكُنْتُ نَسْيًا مَنْسِيًّا Very powerful ayah. Subhanallah. فَأَجَاءَهَا الْمَخَاضُ الْمَخَاضُ I'm gonna translate, I'm gonna explain the second word, what looks like the second word first. Because in translation, we have to, that term is gonna come first, once we translate it properly. Otherwise it won't sound right in English. So, 
Al-Makhad in the, in the classical Arabic language, actually the root of the word refers to when you have a liquid in a canister, when you have liquid in a canister, and you shake it around. Alright? When you shake liquid inside of a container or a canister, that's the literal meaning of the word makhad, the root, makhad. That's what it refers to. This is used in a figurative sense, this is used metaphorically to refer to the movement of the child inside, of the, inside the womb of the mother. The wo- movement of the child inside the womb of the mother. And some scholars even refer to the fact that it also, also could be referring to the contractions that she starts to experience. The contractions that she's starting to experience. So al-makhab. Alright, refers possibly also refers to the contractions that she's starting to experience because she's nearing the birth of the child. Now that you understand that word, فَأَجَاءَهَا means that it forced her. Means that it forced her. It forced her to go. It forced her to go. Like جَاءَ يَجِيءُ المجي in the Arabic language means to go somewhere. It means to go somewhere. Aja'a, aja'a is the transitive form. The transitive form. Which means to force someone to go somewhere. To force someone to go somewhere. Alright? So now she's being forced to go somewhere. What is the, the, the thing, the, the element that is forcing her to go somewhere? The movement of the child, the contractions that she starts to experience, it forces her to get up and start moving around and start looking for something. She's worried now, she's nervous now. Right? She's, I mean, this is the first time she's experiencing this. So this is forcing her to move around. And where does it force her to go to? Ila towards jidhi nakhla. Jidhi in the Arabic language means the trunk, the stump. The trunk of a tree. And nakhla refers to a date palm. So now this movement of the child, the contractions, they start forcing Maryam to start moving around and she starts moving towards the trunk of a date palm. Why the trunk of a date palm? She goes there to lean against it. To get some support, to hold on to something. So at first, like when she starts experiencing the contractions, it freaks her out. I mean again, I want to emphasize the human experience here. It freaks her out. She gets nervous, whoa, what's going on, what's going on? And so she jumps up and she starts moving around. And then when it starts to get very overwhelming, so the first thing she sees is she sees the, the, the tr- she sees a date palm. So she goes and she grabs the trunk, she grabs this tree, the date palm, and she leans against it. She literally is like, throws herself against it. And she's trying to get support from it, she's trying to catch her breath. Now just look at her plight, look at her situation. Alright, she's going through all of this pain, and all of this difficulty. And in this pain, and in this difficulty, she says, Ya laytani. قالت, she said, Ya laytani. She has, she, 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 she expresses, she has, she expresses uh, sympathy for herself, if you will. Like just kind of like, look what's happening to me, look what I'm going through. Like this is very, very difficult, this is very overwhelming. What's gonna happen to me? Ya laytani. Mittu qabla hadha. And then she says, I wish I would have died before all of this. I wish I would have died before all of this transpired. All of this happened. 
Now, there's a really profound question that's asked here. How do we reflect on this? She's, she's wishing that she was dead. What does that mean? So again, you have to judge a person's statement. You cannot take something out of context. Correct or not? You have to, you have to put something in its context. So when we are going to try to read, when we are going to try to understand what that means, what Maryam is trying to express, we have to read the ayat before it. We have to read the ayat before it. And what we end up finding from everything we know about Maryam, we know she's not somebody to back down from a challenge. She's a strong, strong person. Not just woman, she's a strong human being. On top of that, we know that the thing that is the most unbearable thing to her in the world, in this entire world, is, is this blemish on her decency and her modesty and her chastity. That's the thing that she safeguards. After her relationship with Allah, and that's actually a part of her relationship with Allah, is her chastity and her modesty and her decency, her self-dignity and respect. And we know how profoundly, how strongly she feels about that. So now that this is going from a pregnancy to now becoming reality, manifest reality, she's about to give birth to a child. It's happening. So now she was able to get away for a little bit. For the first duration, the beginning duration of the pregnancy, it didn't show. She was able to hide it, you know. And then later on in pregnancy, she was able to get away for a little bit. But now that this child will come into existence, is there any way to hide it anymore? No, there's a living, breathing human being. What are you going to do with that? Where are you going to go with the human being? He's going to have needs, necessities. She's going to be forced to go back and live amongst people. There's no more hiding this anymore. So now that this is becoming reality, this is happening, she says, مِتُّ قَبْلَ هَذَا because she knows that the slander will come. And I don't want to again get ahead of ourselves here, but there are ayats later on in Surah Maryam, in this very surah, that if you look at ayah number 27, ayah number 28, the people literally start calling her out. When she shows up with this child, she goes, what did you do? Oh my God, Maryam, what did you do? What's wrong with you? Your family, they were good people. What happened to you? That ex- that's exactly what happened. So she starts to say, I wish I w- Allah would have taken me up before this. That that was my fate that was written before this. Because how am I going to deal with that, that slander and those accusations and that blemish? And now it's not just going to affect me. She had those concerns of it affecting other people. But now it will affect an innocent child. And we know that there was a segment of the people at that time who saw Maryam billah, as a sinful woman and saw Isa alayhi salam billah, God forbid, they saw Isa alayhi salam as the product of an illicit relationship. There were people who felt that way, who thought that. And she did not want that to happen to anyone. So that's why she's saying, مِتُّ قَبْلَ هَذَا And then, we see that she says, وَكُنْتُ نَسِيَمْ مَنْسِيَا وَكُنْتُ نَسِيَمْ مَنْسِيَا And I would have become, نَسِيًا نَسِيًا 
Nasyan in the Arabic language comes from the root which means to forget something. It means to forget something. But it's also used as a noun. It can also be used as a noun. Nasi. Nasiyun. Nasyun. These are different derivatives. Nasyun, nasiyun. Because nisyan is the gerent. But nis, nasyun, nisyun, nasiyun, these are all derivatives. And they're used to refer to things that you very easily forget. Especially when somebody is traveling, when you leave your house, they're very easy to forget. Alright, like, you know, whether it be maybe just you wanted to take, you know, your lunch with you. And you always forget your lunch at home. That's, then that would be called nisiyun, or nasyun, or nisyun, different derivatives. Alright, so that's what it's called. Things that are forgotten, things that are left behind. And that's why the, the Arab, they had a figure of speech, they had a saying, uh, an expression, that whenever people would, begin, would travel, the leader of the pack, the leader of the group of people that would be traveling, he would say, اِحْفَذُوا أَنْسَاءَكُمْ اِحْفَذُوا أَنْسَاءَكُمْ Or they would say, اُنْدُرُوا أَنْسَاءَكُمْ Make sure that you take accounts, make sure that you look out for the things that you will easily forget. Your staff or your cup, or your keys, or whatever it was for somebody. Alright, so don't forget those things. The things that are easily forgotten, make sure that you get them. And so that's what it's referring to here, that I wish I would have become something that is just forgotten. Easily forgotten. And then for extra emphasis, she adds the word, mansiyan. Mansiyan. Then not only is it forgotten, but like there's a figure of speech in Urdu, it's the closest thing I could think of. There's a figure of speech in Urdu that says that when you forget something, sometimes you forget it so bad that you forget forgetting it. There's this figure of speech in Urdu that says like you forget something so bad that you forget the fact that you forgot it. Alright, I don't know if that makes any sense in English, but nevertheless that's a figure of speech. Alright, All right? I'm not going to say it in Urdu because I think I'm going to butcher it. Alright, even though my Urdu is very good, but I'm feeling a lack of confidence right now. So, I'm gonna stick to what I'm good at right now, okay? Alright, I'm not willing to try my luck here. I don't want an uncle to throw something at me, okay? So, so she's saying that, make me, I wish I would have become something that would have been easily forgotten, and then mansigan, and then would have become completely wiped from the memory banks of people. Not only would I have been easily forgotten, that people would have had trouble recalling me. But then on top of that, beyond that, I would have been completely wiped from record. Wiped from the memory banks of people. Completely gone, as if I didn't even exist. I never even existed. And the scholars say that more than anything, this is another testament to the dignity, the honor, the distinction, the, 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 the modesty and the chastity of Maryam. That she would forego her existence rather than compromise her modesty and her chastity. And that's something that we need to come back to. But I want to emphasize one thing. Yes, she has such strong motivations about modesty and chastity. But she has such strong convictions or motivations about modesty and chastity. And she enforces this standard upon herself. She enforces that standard upon herself. Modesty is meant to be self-driven, self-motivated. You have to hold yourself to a standard. We can create an environment that facilitates that, that encourages that, that inspires that. Sure. 
But we cannot create a judgmental environment that holds other people to standards. Because what starts happening after a while is, then it becomes all about other people, then you don't really care much about yourself. And that predicament, I'll give you a very open example. Alright, and I'm not saying that there aren't problems on the sister side, but let me give you an example of how this works in our communities and societies. We created a very, a very hypocritical attitude about modesty, chastity. Where it was all the ire of the community, especially from the brother's side, was directed at the sister's side. They're expected to be modest and chaste, so that we don't have to. They're expected to be modest and chaste, so that we don't have to. They're expected to be modest and chaste, because that's what Allah wants from them. That has nothing to do with men. That's what Allah wants from them. If another man never existed in the world ever again, women would still have to be modest and chaste. And vice versa. I always ask people the litmus test, the, the question. If modesty is about other people, when you are at home, alone, by yourself, in the privacy of your own room or your own home, are you, aren't you still supposed to be modest? Or then can you be immodest? Or do you still have to be modest? Yes or no? Yes. Nobody's there. Why? Because it, it's your dealing with Allah. It's your relationship with Allah. It's about how much you respect yourself. It's self-esteem, self-respect. And the, the predicament that we have today is that, that, that standard at some level, and still it's way beyond where it's supposed to be, but at some level we, are, we have an expectation of the sisters, but on the brother's side, so if a sister ever showed up, immodestly dressed, that's it. We'd have a crackdown in the community. There'd be a khutbah on the topic. There'd be a new bulletin board put outside. The dress code of the masjid. But on the brother's side, we're seeing the situation, where the brother's wearing a t-shirt that he bought from Baby Gap. You understand what I'm talking about here? When the brother does ruku, he's sharing way too much. I'm sorry brother, I love you for the sake of Allah, but I'm not down with that. Alright, you need to keep yourself to yourself. Alright? And then somehow there's not a problem with that? There's not a problem with that? So modesty is something that is about myself. And Maryam is self-imposing this standard, this very high standard of modesty. I would rather not exist than to have any blemish on my modesty and my decency and my dignity and my chastity. And that's something we all need to hold ourselves accountable, brother or sister, old or young, married or single, does not matter. We need to all hold ourselves to the standard of modesty. Alright? وَكُنْتُ نَسْيَمْ مَنْسِيَّةً the last thing that I'll point out here is about this. There is something beautiful. There's a long discussion that about this wishing of death. Asking for death from Allah. Asking death from Allah is, is prohibited. But there's a specific context to that. It's prohibited if it is done out of discontentment with the decision, the decree, the qadr of Allah. That you are, I am so miserable with the way my life is, meaning I'm not happy with what Allah has given me. I am so unsatisfied, I am so ungrateful for everything Allah has given to me, that I would rather die, that I wish I was dead. That is what is wrong. That is what is wrong. 
But the Prophet ﷺ, to create the balance here, the Prophet ﷺ has a beautiful supplication. And I'll end on this note. The Prophet ﷺ is reported to have said the supplication, Allahumma hini ma kanatil hayatu khayran li. Watawafani ma kanatil wafatu khayran li. Allahumma ahini ma kanatil hayatu khayran li. Oh Allah, keep me alive as long as life is good for me. Watawafani. But take me up. Meaning, take me away from life. Take me away. مَا كَانَتِ الْوَفَاتُ خَيْرًا لِي When or in the situation that leaving this world is best for me. Keep me alive if living is what's best for me. Take me away if that is what's best for me. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to practice everything that has been said and heard. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi subhanak Allahumma wa bihamdik nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk